You know, I just love these stories where people mess up in the Bible. Stories like David and stories like Saul, what we're going to talk today, stories like Samson, because it proves to me and it shows me that nobody's perfect. And it really takes the pressure and weight off of my shoulders. When I read stories like David and how David did all these great things, and, and then he commits adultery and he tries to get her husband killed, and, and he does all these terrible things, but God didn't turn his back on David. God didn't run away from David because of the mistake he made. And I, I opened up my Bible when I a week or two ago when I began to, to study this. And I saw it was talking about Saul's conversion. And by the way, this is also, his, his name changes from here to Paul. The same Paul that wrote most of the New Testament. And I was so excited. I just looked and saw the title, Saul's Conversion. All right. And I closed my Bible. All right. I love this. This is going to be awesome. But then I began reading the passage. And there was something that stuck out to me. So let's read the passage here this morning and go from there. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard the voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done for you, to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to Gentiles and their king and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer my name. When I read that, verse 15 just popped out. 
Because this is a man who is coming to arrest believers. Those who believe in Jesus, he is coming to arrest them and possibly kill them. Probably killing them. But Jesus says, He's my chosen instrument. He is my chosen instrument. And I began, it just stuck out to me. And I asked Pastor Josh, I said, does this at all sound right? You know, is there a reason that this is standing out to me? He said, he told me, he's like, well, when I first came up with this passage and thought on this, on this sermon, that's kind of what stood out to me too. So, it kind of shows me that God is trying to say something here to all of us this morning. But then I got to thinking, why is Saul specifically God's chosen instrument? And then I got to thinking a little bit more. Maybe we're all God's chosen instrument. What makes God, Saul God's chosen instrument? It's because he's a human being who God loves. And what are we? A human being whom God loves. So we are all that chosen instrument from God. Not just Saul. So when I began to think about instruments, all I could come to mind was musical instruments. And the things that are played throughout musical instruments. I have up here a saxophone, a guitar, and then we have our pianos. But the instrument is a very vital piece to a to a concert or, or some kind of venue where music is playing. It's a very vital piece, right? Well, we're going to talk more about the instrument and more description about the instrument here in a little later. But something that stuck out to me is that there is a place for everyone. Because throughout this story in Acts chapter 9, there was a place for Paul. Saul, at this time. There was a place for Saul. And God is beginning to work His, do the groundwork for what is to come later on throughout the New Testament. The great things that we are about ready to see throughout the rest of the New Testament. And God is going to be working through Paul in miraculous ways. And that's where his place for him is. Just to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. And he does that in many spectacular ways. And he continues to do that today through the writings that he has blessed us with. And that amazes me. Time and time again. And we look at it and we look at the mistakes that he may have made. But the things that he did after those mistakes, when he repented, asked God to forgive him of his sins, truly great. You begin to look and, and he's, he's talking about wisdom. We begin to look and he's talking about false teachings and how to watch out for false teachings. We're looking at it and, and he's ta- warning us about different things that are coming ahead. Paul does some great things. And there is a place for Paul 
here. There's a place for Ananias. It amazes me, and I found it kind of funny, that I have a study Bible that I, that I read through. And so every now and then there's a, there's a little article there, and there just happened to be an article about this. And it's titled, You Can't Be Serious. And I can only imagine Ananias. God comes to him and says, you are going to this man, and you are going to tell him about Jesus, and you are going to restore his sight, and you are going to bring him to become a Christian. In fact, that, that article here, it describes it like the 1940s, and him being a Jew going to uh, Adolf Hitler. That's what it described it as. Can you imagine going into that situation? God, this man is here to kill me. I'm not going to seek him. I'm going to run from him. And I'd love to sit here today and tell you that I would do the exact same thing as Ananias did in this story and go. But in the moment, who knows? When the moment hits you, it could be hard. Ananias has a place in this story. I shared with you a couple weeks ago when I was preaching how I got to my place here. There's a place for me. And I believe that right now it's right here. My plan was not to be standing on the stage talking to you. God's plan was. And He had a place for me. There was a place for Saul. There was a place for Ananias. There's a place for me. Now I ask you, where is your place? Where is the place that God is in me? Where is the place that God is putting me? Because there is a place for every single one of us. It's just finding that place. I found an article written by Charlotte Fritz. I don't know who she is, but I, I found it very, very intriguing when she began talking about some of this stuff. When you look at an instrument, we, we just kind of look at it and we know what happens to it. But she kind of broke it down and began comparing it to our life with, with God. Our Christian walk. And it really was neat how she kind of put some points together for that. And so I wanted to use her points today in talking about that. So the first point is that when you go to a concert and they finish, what do you do? You clap. Who are you clapping for? The artist. So I could come over here and play one of these instruments and I may get a few pity applause or I may get uh, some thank goodness he's done. Um, but the thing is, you wouldn't take it out on the instrument that it was that bad. You wouldn't take it out on the instrument. But see, with this performance, it's awe-inspiring all-inspiringly beautiful. 
So that praise, that cheering, that clapping goes to the performer. And that performer is God. So it's giving that praise to God for the work that He has done to make us that instrument. And I see that in Paul's letters. Is that he continues to celebrate what God has done for him. Because he is the instrument, but God is the artist. And it's truly amazing to see what happens and we truly let God take over and we give Him the glory and we give Him the praise for what happens. The instrument, it's, it's amazing how they work. You know, with the saxophone here, you blow air and you're directing the air. I, I mean, I'm no, I'm no, I don't know much about music or anything like that, but you're directing air in certain different ways to make this beautiful sound. You hit a string on a guitar and, and it, the vibrations go through the box and it comes out this beautiful thing. That's the simple way I know how to put it. But it, it comes out this beautiful thing. You go to a piano, you hit the, the key and it hits the chords and it makes this beautiful sound. When you put them all together, it makes this beautiful, beautiful sound. We are the instrument, and God is playing this. And so God is the one that deserves the praise for that. The instrument does not make music on its own. We could sit here, and we could watch that piano all day long, expecting it to play. But we're going to be sitting here a very long time if we're going to be waiting for that to play. Now, they make all these cool devices that you could stick into a piano and it starts playing itself. It looks like it's playing itself. But, you know, somebody has to make a program like that. It takes an individual to actually begin playing it. And when you hit a key, when you actually hit a key, it plays that key. It doesn't play some random key that it wants to play on its own. And so many times that's the way our life should be as well. We focus too much on wanting our plan, wanting our path. And we begin playing different keys than what God is trying to play. And because of that, we're getting off track with God. Staying there and staying on the path and playing the music that God wants us to play. Because it will make truly beautiful music when we play God's music. When we begin to venture off of that path, that's when we begin to find trouble. And the last one I found was the instrument does not play its own tune. And it's very, very similar to what I was talking about earlier. The instrument does not play its own tune. 
So we need to follow the path that God has for us. We need to play the tune that God has for us. If we do these three, three things, giving praise to God, allowing God to use us, and following the path that He has, we're allowing the artist to do what he does best. We've got the master performer using us. And because he's using us, we're allowing great things to happen through us. And I'm amazed each and every day in my walk with Christ how much I see these three things. Even times where I may not know and understand that I'm actually following the path. When I, when I look back and I see the reason that I went down that path, I, I see God working. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful sight. When you go to a concert, you stand there and they finally finish. When you look up here at the stage, there's all these instruments everywhere. But God is the one that truly deserves any praise and glory that is happening on that stage. I found a story written by Ray Steadman. Once again, somebody I don't know, but it was a very interesting story and I've kind of been weighing back and forth about whether to, whether to use this or not. Um, but I, I think it's only appropriate. And I think it's best describes what else I'm going to say today. So I'd love to share this story with you. Remember, this is him writing it, not me. So if anybody gets offended, it's not me. I don't know if you will or not, but... <laughs> I flew out of Denver, Colorado to Peoria, Illinois a few years ago. Not very many people go to Peoria, but I did. Like I said, Tim. I flew on Ozark Airlines because I wanted to get there the worst way possible. In the plane, I picked up a little magazine that every airline has. My attention was caught by an advertisement on the back page that said in large letters, when you understand you can change the world, your life will never be the same again. Naturally, I was curious to know what, was, what it was that would make such a dramatic difference. Reading further, I saw it was an advertisement for Playboy magazine. That irritated me a little at first. But then I thought, it really is true. Playboy magazine has changed the world. A few weeks ago, we had Brad Curl here with us. He told us how Playboy mentality has brought immortality and open recreational sex into public approval, and that has absolutely changed the morals of this country. He also documented for us the things that advertisements about Playboy never mentioned. 
the terrible increase in teenage pregnancies, the sexual abuse of children, pornography directed at children, etc. The result of this mentality is that we are sacrificing our children upon the altar of our lust. Yet, as I was thinking of that, I thought of what, of a, what a wonderful slogan for Christians. When you understand you can change the world, your life will never be the same again. You can change it for the better. That's the point. Several weeks ago and several months ago, I struggled with the fact that we were celebrating the life of Hugh Hefner. And I heard so many people talk about what a wonderful man this was and what great things he did for the world. And that really gnawed at me. It really tore me up. It was hard for me to really acknowledge that. And I never want to wish anybody death. Don't get me wrong by what I'm saying here. It was hard for me to celebrate the life that he had. And I began to think about this and the things that were said here. He really did change the world. But in my eyes and a lot of other people's eyes, he changed it in a negative way. And in a terrible way. That brought on so many terrible, destructive things into this world. I remember going through high school and hearing some people say, I'd love to be Hugh Hefner. I would challenge that. I would challenge that today. I would much rather be who I am than to be that man in the life that he had. We have the opportunity to change the world. To change the world for the better. To change the world for a positive impact. For positive reasons. The world has been changed. We can look at that we can see what Hugh Hefner has done. But what are we going to do starting today? What are we going to do to proclaim the name of Jesus? Because if you look, Paul was a murderer. Paul arrested Christians. He murdered Christians. But what did he do afterwards? His word is still proclaimed today celebrating God. Celebrating Jesus. The world has been impacted negatively, but we can do something about it. We can be the positive light of God. We can show others how great and wonderful God is. And we can show them that the best life possible is not Hugh Hefner's life. We can show them that when they put us in the ground, we're going to be a lot happier following Jesus than we were following 
everything that that man followed. How are we going to go about it when we walk out these doors today? Are we going to continue to live our life on the sidelines? Are we going to run after God? This week I had the opportunity of speaking at FCA for the middle school at Eastern Hancock. And, and a couple weeks ago I did it at Eastern Hancock for the high school. And, and I told them about the Good Samaritan. I told them the story of the Good Samaritan. I asked them, I said, who's heard the story of the Good Samaritan? I only had a couple hands. Now if I turn around, that around and say, who's who, Hugh Hefner? Sadly, I probably would have a lot of hands. But the point is, I talk to them about when you see somebody in, in need, when you see somebody struggling, don't just walk by them. These were two important people in the church, that in the temple, that walked by this man that was dying on the side of the road. These were two important men that the world would say would never do something like that. But they did. Don't be that man that's on the sideline, or that woman on the sideline. Be willing to reach out and give a helping hand. Be willing, be willing to reach out and proclaim the name of Jesus. It's not that hard to open a door and hold it open for somebody to walk through. It's not that hard to help somebody with groceries into a car. It's not that hard to change somebody's life in small ways. As the worship team comes, I want you guys to remember. From now on, when you hear music, I want you guys to think about God. Because this is you. You are the instrument. It doesn't matter what may have happened in your past. It doesn't matter what the good things, the bad things that you've done in your life. It's today. We have redemption in that. We can be used by God in such miraculous ways. In great ways. And I'd love to see each and every one of you use your abilities and your talents to further the kingdom of God. I want to share with you one more time that quote. When you understand that you can change the world, your life will never be the same again. Let's celebrate that Jesus Christ is here. And let's celebrate that we can tell others about Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning?